you are what you eat, then I only want to eat the good stuff. I think I have enough butter now. Right. If you need any more. Beer is for breakfast around here. Drink or be gone. Did you threaten this customer or use profanity in any way? Yes. Let's eat. Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we take a casual stroll through the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. And we pay attention most of the time. (laughs) This week, we've got Jenna Lieberman, not to be confused with Lieberman. Ooh, I made that mistake one time and I will never make it again. You'll pay for it. Jenna got her start with one-off hospitality, doing in-house marketing and PR before moving on to a full-service agency. Now she runs iEaters with her partner, Paul Octavius. It's a creative agency that also hosts fun and interesting events. So without further ado, we're going to give to you Jenna Liberman. Did you guys know that um, Hog Salt took over Lena Brava? I did know that. They own it now. And did you know they're taking over another place in New York called the Monkey Bar? Hmm. Is that a playground or an actual yeah, it's a, place? It's a feature in a playground. <laughs> oh, sick. They're... Danny, it's so good to see you. <laughs> yeah, great when to Tim see was you. like, do you want to do my podcast? I was like, yeah, yeah. I'll hang out with Danny. <laughs> and you too, Tim. But do you like... want to do my podcast? No. Do you want to do my podcast with Danny? <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, it's great to see you. Um, yeah. Thank you for, for joining us. Yeah. It's very cool. So, um, you know, as long as we've known each other, I feel like I don't have the full Jenna story. Ooh, yeah. So you're relatively local, and that's about all I know. Yeah. Grew up in Wilmette, northern suburbs, and, um, you know, kind of went to school in Madison, Wisconsin, but besides that, have always been here. Yeah. Did you have an intense rivalry with Winnetka, Glencoe? You know, know Nutria was a really good experience for me because I was able to, like, be... um like the head of a like social circle. It was called like, I don't remember what it was called, but we like volunteered and I like led volunteers and I was the editor of the indie music magazine. Yeah. And like only in a place where it's incredibly well-funded and there's 1500 kids in your grade. Are you going to have that experience? But yeah, I mean, there's for sure. What were the indie bands at the time? So I was not actually into music and I like thought I was, I was just into hanging out with these like cool guys who were into music. And like smart and creative and like they needed help getting their shit together. And so I was the editor. Task manager. Yeah. So I I basically formatted it and made sure people got things in on time. That's cool. So like for a while I thought I wanted to be in like business of music because I liked being around those people. Yeah. And like, but I I didn't, I don't really like music. Like I like music, but I don't really care. Yeah. You're not a music nerd. No. So do you think uh, the restaurateurs that you've come across are like the, uh, the rock stars of the restaurant <laughs> well no i think i've continuously found myself working with creative people yeah who need help organizing their thoughts and prioritizing and like figuring out how to make a viable business out of what is ultimately a passion yeah i think that's a great great asset so yeah like i do pr sometimes and i do events sometimes and i do all these different things but Ultimately, I feel like the reason I chose restaurants was, one, I I care about the food systems and things like that, but really, I just wanted to be around the chaos. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a chaotic industry. Absolutely. Did did you, so Madison, you graduated from Madison with a degree in? Business marketing. I went there. So I, when I was young, like 12, I thought of an anecdote. I'm going to slip it in. So I was like, (laughs) this is like a good story, but not really. It just lays the path. Yeah. Um, my dad took me to Barnes and Noble. If you're from the Northern suburbs, you know where it was on Lake. Yeah. Um, and I was just there with him at the bookstore. Like we'd go there, he'd get coffee and work. And then he never spoiled us really. I mean, of course I'm like from all that. I'm plenty spoiled, but it wasn't like he was showing his love through gifts typically, but I was eyeing this Martha Stewart baking cookbook and it was like $40. And my dad just bought it for me, just like for no reason. And I was 12 and I went home and I like baked all the things out of it, like fanatically. Wow. 
And then I started obviously a business because that was very always, yeah, I think it was like 13 or maybe 12. And I started a cupcake business. Pastry chef. Well, I was ahead of the curve, really, wow. you know, a tastemaker a year after there's cupcake shops everywhere, but I was lucky. My neighbor growing up was a pastry chef for Let Us Entertain You. Her husband is a partner at Let Us Entertain You. Whoa. She tasted all my cupcakes. She's and I'm like, you 12. were using salt instead you know, of sugar it, this But whole she's time. like, <laughs> she edited my recipes. Oh, she cool. took me so seriously. I was a baby wow. making cupcakes. And she was like, this is how to tweak your recipes. And she talked me through it all. Whoa. I did branding. I mean, it was like, it was awesome. I did one job and realized like I did not want to bake cupcakes for money. It was a lot of work for not a lot of money, Yeah. but it was like such a fun experience. And like, I went to UW Madison, not knowing what I wanted to do and thought like I wanted to be around these like cool music guys. So I was going to do music business, some shit, got a degree in business. And after one summer interning for, um, David Golden, I think is his name. Yeah. Maybe I did that, but, um, <laughs> space in Evanston. I like interned oh, yeah. there thinking like, Oh, this is the perfect way to like dip my toes into music business. i like had this fantasy of having a coffee shop and music venue. Cause I was 18, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was like, Oh, I hate this. Like, I like the business. I'm interested in the marketing, but I like did not want to work in a music venue. What turned Billy you Morgan off? Spot space? Uh, I don't know. In Evanston? Craig Golden. Is oh, part of it. Craig Golden, like at 69 yeah. Center, yes. Bruce's partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's Craig's space. I don't know who else is involved. Okay. But um, it was a great opportunity. Like, I loved it, but it was clear that, like, I don't care about music the way that these people cared about music. And oh. that summer, I read The Omnivore's Dilemma, and yeah. it, like, opened my eyes. And I found slow food in Madison, Wisconsin, and again, found myself organizing a bunch of creative slow food people and we would serve like 200 people a week lunch and like run all this other programming through Madison. So like it was just a different sort of way to get there. Hmm. What were some of the spots up in Madison? I used to visit friends there and I remember a place called Knottsville. It was really good. Yeah, that was cute. Um, My friend Johnny Hunter had a bunch of bars and restaurants. Four Quarter is still one of my favorite restaurants. It's still, I mean, it's now departed, but there was this great cigar bar called Maduro's up in the Capitol. Yeah, and like we would be 21 years old or maybe 20 and we would go and we would drink whiskey on the rocks and smoke cigars. And it was like, we were hit. We were hot. That's so funny. Yeah. I, I did not have, picture that, I did not have the typical big 10 college experience. I think it's like half of a quarter of a game. Yeah. No, I mean, it sounds like you found the things that you yeah. were interested in kind of, that's a consistent thread. Composting. Yeah. Whether at Nutrier or at yeah. Madison. Are you still composting? Not right now. Okay. Are you? Oh yeah. Wow. You know, he asked that question just so he could like. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Flexing. Like, yeah. Yeah. Waste not. Wow. You're so incredible. <laughs> yeah. Is that the company or is that? Yeah, I like to give back to the community. Waste yeah. not, want not. Waste not. Yeah. You've seen the trucks driving around. Oh, it's an actual thing. Yeah. Cool. I thought you were just hitting us with the proverb. Just one No, just dropping a client's name. Do you name. freeze it? Do you keep it under your sink? Do you have a patio? Like where are you storing? Uh, the, the odor, but we do a pickup every two weeks. And by the end of that two weeks, it's pretty. Oh, I thought you just put on Shannon's side of the bed. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um, moving on. Um, Shannon is Tim's wife, for those who don't know. My friend. Yeah, my friend first, then Jenna's friend, then Tim's wife. It's true. That's the arc. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, Jenna, recently, semi-recently, you've pivoted kind of away from being in marketing and PR and working with Paul Octavius doing Eye Eaters Mm -hmm. and other events. Can you tell us a little bit about like that journey, how you ended up with Paul? Yeah. Um, I like knew him from around just like anyone does in Chicago. Like you just know somebody, but then we would exercise at the same time at the gym and he once in passing was like, yeah, like I have an idea about something like we should get coffee and like talk about it. And I of course was like, yeah. And so I followed up and I was persistent because it's me. It's the Jenna way. Yeah. And so we met for coffee and he needed help with, he had a supper club at the time called the Eater Society. And I was like, yeah, I can help you. Like I know restaurant people and 
you need help organizing this. Um, I can do events. And I mean, I didn't fully know what I was doing, but I could figure it out. And so we, our first event was at the Museum of Contemporary Art, which was a big swing. Like why they gave us the space was absurd, but they did. Very cool. Generous. And my friends were doing a restaurant at Marisol on the first floor. So they did the food and it was a gorgeous event. Um, we just kept doing events, making no money and figuring out along the way how to make money and also how to find sponsorship. Why were you not making money at this time? Because there's no money to be made throwing amazing parties. Right. But the people who are attending were paying someone. No. Oh, for sure. But like the cost of the event. Like the co- I got it. Like yeah. everything wasn't. Exactly what was the biggest why. expense? Just uh, the space? It depends on the event. Yeah. Um, I think for the MCA one. Yeah, the labor and the food. Yeah. Um, but like we would get sponsors, but like we didn't quite know how to make money with sponsors. Yeah, I gotcha. And ultimately we were just doing it to like try it, like to do something cool. I had a full time PR agency and like this was just something to play with. And eventually we figured out how to make money doing it. Um, and sponsors asked us to do kind of like one off things for them. So like one of our first commissions was Cresco had a brand, has a brand called Mindy's Edibles. We did some events for them. Oh, cool. And so we did, you know, experiential marketing. So we threw a party, we handled the guest list, we handled media, we documented it. And because of that, we were like, oh, this is a business. And we always knew we wanted to have a creative agency, but it was just like, do we like working together? We worked together for years before we like made it official. So what is, so you now are a creative agency together yes. and slow down is no more. No, we both have our, so for all you listeners at home who yeah, care yeah. about the LLCs, yeah. I have an LLC, which is slow down. Um, and I do PR marketing for restaurants, bars, people adjacent at this point I do like one at a time and it's friends or people who I like really think are really cool. Yeah. You're and it's just for fun. Yeah. And then Paul and I have a creative agency. We do experiential marketing. We do um, strategy and consulting. And we also do photo shoots because Paul is a really talented photographer. And so in the best situations, we do all of those things for our clients. Um, so like for Mindy's, that example, like we produce content, we throw an event, we get press, you know, we do it. Um, yeah, it's been really good. And we still throw really cool parties. Of all the parties that you've thrown, like what are the biggest kind of mistakes or biggest challenges you've faced? I think that's a really interesting question. Cause like, if I'm looking at it from like, if you're looking for the answer of like what not to do to throw a good party, I think part of it is making sure the room is curated well. So don't invite Danny and Tim. I mean, do, but make sure like their wives come. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, I think like making the room the right mix. And that's something we learned really early on with eaters. Part of the reason we didn't make money is because we didn't want to have it priced in a way where it wasn't going to be accessible yeah, and diverse. Yeah. And Who, who's the ideal guest of an eaters event? Well, it's the mix. Yeah. So like, that's the thing. Like, You want to be in a room with people who don't look like you, who come from different worlds from you, and who like when you take a photo, it looks like a cool spot. Yeah, and I that, assume yeah. being open-minded is a key component of yeah. the best, And being beautiful. I think that's the whole point is yeah. the eye-eaters, you're pairing artists. I, maybe walk us through oh, the, yeah, the basic concept of eye-eaters. Yeah. So eye-eaters, the society is like, it's like kind of like a fake cult. We combine food and art, sometimes cannabis, sometimes none of those things. We just throw a crazy party. Um, but the idea is to like eat with your eyes and, and kind of have this sort of theatrical over the top experience. So to answer your question about like what makes a good event or what's like a good event, a good event, people don't know what they're coming exactly for. And they're totally pushed outside of their comfort zone to the point where they're just open. And one of the best events I think we did was at the frost house in Michigan city, Indiana. I mean, it just, it's like this prefab 1960s home. Um, and the homeowners like graciously just donated the space to us cause they like loved what we were doing and wanted to throw a good party. Um, did they get to attend? They did. They had a few seats. That's a sweet perk. I mean, you're donating your house. You can sit at the dinner. Um, but so we had like this 1960s themed dinner party and we had, um, a liquor brand, uh, vodka as our liquor sponsor. And so we made this amazing jello installation with a table that lit up so that it was like really dynamic and it was jello, you know, 
with vodka in it plus drinks and stuff. But it was just cool and magical. And like, that was one of the first ones we did that was more theatrical. Yeah. Drag queens, of course, but like just different. It wasn't just dinner and food, which, and, and art, which is awesome and like still magical. But like for us right now, it's like, we're throwing a queer prom in a couple weeks and it's going to be amazing. Where is that? TBD, our venue just fell through. So I'm dealing with that, but basketball court for sure. Um, there's going to be a, a drag queen auntie Chan who will be our principal. We're going to have chaperones. There's a dance crew. Um, and do these want things, yeah, do these things like sell out? Do you curate? So do you reach out to people to come to them or they reach out to you to attend? So we are currently in a really fortunate position Mm -hmm. where we post on Instagram and send out a newsletter and we'll typically sell out in a couple hours. And what's cool about that is like, sometimes we'll invite specific people, but it's public and ticketed and we worked for a long time in the beginning to make sure that Paul wasn't the only black person in the room. Yeah. And now we don't have to work very hard at that just because the community's there and like the partners we're choosing are representative of diverse communities. And so we don't have to like put people in to make sure that it feels right. Yeah. And like beyond these events, like what are the other sorts of things that you and Paul are talking about. I'm assuming that uh, with someone like Paul, there's a trillion ideas. A trillion ideas. And I think my job is to help prioritize. Yeah. Um, You're the creative whisperer. Yeah. Um, Last year we did some really cool programming for Lollapalooza. Yeah. They invited us to curate a stage and didn't really give us any parameters because C3 is just like a great group to work with. They're the production company for the festival. And so we brought the first drag shows to Lollapalooza and not only was it like beautiful and exciting and fun and like very well attended but the reason it was so exciting for us is because like these are people who are outsiders and you know it was such an emotionally charged opportunity for all of the performers to be on those stages to be paid fairly um, and to be having like all eyes on them that was like the highlight of it for us. It's like always, how do we make money? How do we do something cool? But how do we like do something impactful? Even if it's silly and it's a party, like how do we showcase someone to make them feel really special or help their business? Yeah. Uh, so does that answer your question? Like things like that are really cool. Absolutely. We like consulting. Like sometimes people just come to us and they're like, we need to work with XYZ community. Like, can you connect us? Who are the right people? Um, or it's, you know, doing a really great photo shoot for a CPG brand, which is like pretty neutral and getting the opportunity to like make something really impactful. Like that still is fulfilling what they need, you know? Yeah. But cool. And what is a CPG? Oh, a CPG is like a consumer packaged good. Got it. So like an ice cream brand, a hard seltzer brand. Um, nice. A gin brand. Yeah. I like how strategically you're not saying the brands. Well, you know. No free marketing. And if I talk shit, I don't want anyone to know who I'm talking about. (laughs) This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. Your concept is special and you obsess over the details. From the interior design to the menu down to the linens, everything is intentional. So why should it stop at uniforms? Stock brings your unique aesthetic and branding over to your staff's appearance with comfortable, functional, durable uniforms. Choose from in-stock options or collaborate on a custom uniform program for your team. Low mins, quick lead times, and style continuity. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. I want to talk a little PR and marketing because yeah. that's the world that I know you from. I worked with Stock. We did the Chicago Hospitality United yeah. initiative during COVID, which was great. Um, so coming out of college, did you go directly in that direction? What, what was your first gig? So I had a marketing degree. At that time, I was like fully invested in the food space. In college, I actually saw, I went to the Good Food Conference. I think that's what it's called. And Rick Bayless and Paul Kahn were speaking. And I was like, oh, I was like, Paul, that's the guy. Like, he's cool. Rick was great too, but like, I, I was really resonating with what uh, Paul was saying. 
And I worked for a small PR agency that specialized in hospitality for a year here in Chicago, working for my mother's dining room table in Wilmette. And I hated it. Um, they were great. They did good work, but like I hated PR and I was like, okay, I don't think I want to do this. What did you not like about it? Well, one part I was like working from home and doing grunt work. And so it wasn't particularly stimulating and I didn't have the perks of an office environment where you're talking to people. So I was just like clipping things all day and it didn't feel impactful to anyone's business. Like I didn't see what me putting, spending hours and hours and hours of time putting together beautiful PDFs of things that really could have been sent as links was a value add. Yeah. You and couldn't see the ROI. Yeah. Like that's not to say like there's no shade to anybody who values that. And I think for certain clients, like that is important. But for me, I'm like, how do it just didn't seem to be a good use of my time. Yeah. And um, it's yeah. probably still when a lot of these social media uh, companies were still in their infancy, Instagram was probably brand new at the time. Social so, was really new. Yeah. The influencers probably weren't even a term Influencer yet. wasn't on the radar as much. It was starting to be. But also like PR is a thing that isn't particularly quantitative. And mm-hmm. so like, of course, the way that you're trying to... M- show your value is by showing press hits and like unique views. But for me, it just seemed not aligned with what I wanted to be doing. Um, and so I was looking for a job. I thought maybe I'd do events. I didn't know. I wanted to be in restaurants and I somehow fell into a job, the dream job at 23, um, handling marketing, PR, social media events, everything at times babysitting for my boss's kid. Um, for one of hospitality. And I was like over the moon and also scared shitless. Like I did not know what I was doing. I was completely underqualified. Whose kid did you babysit? Donnie Medea. Bronson's a cute (laughs) little guy. He's pretty big now though. So it was a while ago. So one off then was probably Blackbird. Avec, Big Star was probably still relatively new. Yeah. But Publican, Publican Quality Meats. There were six properties. The Violet Hour. I think that was it at the time. So there were six properties... Nico Osteria hadn't opened. Um, and I, you know, was a very qualified 23 year old, but like 23 and, yeah. you know, they hired me because I was probably the right, um, personality. Yeah. Energy, persistence. Had they, were they working with a firm prior and they brought they you in house? They never really worked with anyone. They had someone like a long time ago who kind of did PR for them. But like in a, it was very, very traditional and it was a very, very long time ago. Uh, and I also was cheap. Like, let's face it. They didn't have a lot to spend. And so they needed someone green. Um, and they took a risk with me and it was like getting my masters. Yeah. Mutually beneficial. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I learned everything on that job. They had never had someone doing that role. Did you focus equally across the six properties or it was like, Oh, sales down here look a little bit lower than they should be. So Jenna, can you focus your firepower on this? I'd like to say it was that strategic. There was no strategy. Um, in the beginning. Yeah. It was like, Hey, we think we need to be doing this. Like we're supposed to be on social media, but we don't want to do it. Can you just handle it? And what was great is cause like I had total white piece of paper. I could do whatever I want. Yeah. But also no one taught me how to do anything because no one knew what to do. Were there critiques, um, for like the social media posts that you put out or the tweets you wrote or the articles you solicited? Honestly, I mean like there was definitely feedback. I wasn't working in a vacuum. I learned a lot from Paul's instincts, Donnie's instincts, Terry's instincts, all of their instincts. Um, and Peter Garfield, who is one of the partners, there were seven partners at the time, um, had like really good, he was kind of a voyeur on the internet. And so he was the one driving the ship as it related to social. And he was like, we need to be in these spaces. Even if you guys think it's stupid, we need to be in these spaces. And, um, I basically networked, which is like kind of always how I've solved problems. I just like met with anybody who would talk to me Yeah. and I like figured out, hobbled together how I thought the job should be done. And like, had I, if I was doing it now, of course I would be handling it totally differently. But at the time I just jumped in and I worked in the restaurants every single day. I had an, a desk, but I didn't like to be there just cause I, I wanted to be in the spaces and half the problem of the, like my role was like getting the information from chefs. And so if I was just physically in front of them, it'd be a lot easier to get the information and to get like a pulse on 
what was happening. So like I'd work from the bar at Big Star and basically helped communicate all the interesting things that were taking place, whether it was events, whether it was ingredients, whether it was just personalities and broadcasted it outside of the restaurant, but also amongst the restaurants. When I joined them, they were like kind of indie, very indie. They had six properties, but they weren't really a corporation. They were all one-offs. They were all one-offs. <laughs> um, and so like, I felt like I helped a lot with internal communication in the organization because nobody was talking to each other at the time. Like there were a lot of people thinking about this at the time. They started doing more collective buying, but like they were all basically operating as independent businesses and there was very little support outside of like accounting. Yeah, to the restaurants. The, the arrow of Cupid that David shot to Anna. I wasn't involved in that quite as much, but I definitely took like an early photo of the two of them that her <laughs> mother still sends her on their anniversary. It's like her favorite photo. So I think you're pretty instrumental in bringing them together. I mean, for sure. And like Erling and Kimberly, like, yeah, I'm the reason why everyone from that space is married and has Hospitality kids. Hospitality nice. matchmaker. We, we're sitting with David soon, so that's oh, why I asked Yeah, David's about the best. And Henry, I got to spend time with their son yeah, very last sweet. week. He's cute. Super cute. Um, yeah, I guess it's fascinating to see kind of like you kind of grew up with one-off simultaneously. And oh, totally. And now they're like such a juggernaut, so to speak, in the Chicago restaurant world. And they were, the, they were hot shit then, but it was just different. Like it was... I think I was there at a really interesting time when it was the space between being independent restaurants and being more of a corporation. And there was a lot of tension internally, even um, in different people, like internally about that tension. And I think that's something that a lot of small business owners have where it's like, we want to be independent. We want to have soul. We want to do cool shit. We want to empower our employees. And also we need to figure out how to operate at scale. And like, what if Paul can't be in all the restaurants what if Donnie can't be at every restaurant every single night? Like that's not a sustainable way to operate a business. Yeah. And so I was there when there was this tension of we're not corporate, but we have a corporation and figuring out how to balance the two and also perception with media um, and figuring out how to navigate, like how do you do restaurant social? How do you start doing programming and how to, what, what works, what doesn't? Um, newsletters, like, you know, just all the things. Yeah. So how did you end up leaving one off or what was, what, how did you transition to the next? I was there for almost four years and I just kind of 28 years. I felt like I was, I worked around the clock and I, I learned from that job that you can't give everything to a company when it's not yours. I didn't realize I was like, of course you give everything. That's how you do anything. Yeah. And there were no boundaries. Um, and I learned a lot from that. Um, and as well as like how to do my job and these amazing people. And I traveled with Paul and the chefs all around the country and got exposed to so many amazing people and opportunities, but I felt like I wasn't really learning anymore. Yeah. And coming in at such a young age, I felt like part of it was my own stuff, but like I was viewed as a child and I wanted to be in a place where I would be viewed more as a valued equal participant. And that's not to say that there wasn't those thoughts from them, but I was a kid and I also didn't want to be a restaurant partner. There wasn't much room for growth for me. I learned enough sitting in every single manager meeting that running a restaurant is really hard. And I did not want to be involved in, in, in owning a restaurant. Um, No shade to you, Danny, but it's (laughs) tough. And I was amongst the best, like the best. And so I, knew I wasn't, I wasn't in any rush to leave. I loved it. It was the hardest thing to leave, Yeah. but I just started networking and meeting people that were outside of my world and grabbing coffee and just talking. And from those conversations, someone hired me, um, who had a PR agency and enter Skoog, enter Skoog. Uh, so that you were specialized in the F and B part of Skoog, right now. Is that a position that existed before you? Did you take over somebody? Was there a team or did you kind of head that up? I headed that up. Um, so I met Melissa and she was wonderful. And I always had like many young people, and I think especially young women, major imposter syndrome, especially being in the job at one off at the age that I was, the lack of formal experience. And honestly, like some people were kind of shady. Like I heard quite a few comments early on, like, what did you do to get this job? Yeah. With major subtext from women. 
I mean, which is the craziest part, but I never felt like I knew what I was doing. And so I thought it would be valuable for me to work for an agency to learn like the traditional way of doing it, to work amongst people who knew what they were doing. And Melissa had a PR agency, has a PR agency. At the time they specialized in fashion, but she had like one food account and she thought that that could be an interesting lane to be in. Yeah. Who was the account? Vosh Chocolate. Vosh Chocolate. And so yeah, I joined her team and it was so great because not only was I like had work-life balance, which was this foreign concept, like I had extra capacity, but it was perfect because I, I knew I wanted to start my own business. I always assume like people work for other people so that they can then work for themselves. Yeah. I would imagine the three of us feel that way, but I've since learned not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And so I was like, I'll work for her for a year, maybe two. I'll learn. I'll have a moment to breathe and then I'll do my own thing. And actually Danny was one of the first people who texted me when I left and I was able to work with them at Skoog. Um, and it was great. It was great to learn from all these people and also to realize like I knew what I was doing and that maybe my made up ways of doing things were maybe more effective for me than the yeah, traditional I mean, route. It was very professional. Well, you know, how many clients were you managing? I guess at the peak and who were some of the companies and was it all bar and restaurants? I mean, Vogue's chocolate, I guess they have a storefront, right? Yeah. Um, they were, but I was more focused on like the brand nationally, um, like product placements. Okay. I have a really awful memory. Um, I actually had to text a friend this morning to remind me of my life. I mean, I, you did Ludlow, you did... Oh, but uh, that was with Slow Down. Oh, all right. Fair um, I worked with Danny. I worked with the MCA for Marisol. I worked... I can't remember. I mean, they were great and obviously really monumental, but like, I just have a shit memory. Um, oh, room and board, maybe? I worked on a lot of accounts um, and with a team, which was exciting. Did you do stuff for Lula? No, just Marisol, okay. that opening. Um, and a couple of months in, I realized like, oh, if I'm bringing in all this business to somebody else and like, I'm pretty much running it and like, I've learned a lot from this, but like, yeah, I felt constrained by scopes of work. I think that like that the benefit of being in house is you can solve whatever problems come up. The benefit of being in an agency is that there are boundaries to what you're doing you can't just get pulled into anything. I think you're more objective too when you're yeah. not in house. Like it was so valuable, but like, for instance, with y'all, I had a scope of work that confined me to doing specific things, but ultimately the scope didn't match what your needs were. And so we got creative, Yeah. but I found it really confining and I wanted to basically serve as in-house marketing, but like really short periods of time. Yeah. So how long were you at Scoog? Couple one of year. One year. So was entrepreneurship always in your sights? Yeah. I, I also didn't want to Sounds do PR. Like since she was 13 years old. Yeah, since I was a baby. <laughs> I was always having businesses. I had camps. Since she I was babysitter's re club. retooling Martha Stewart's recipes. Absolutely. <laughs> I always yeah. wanted to do She's my like thing. She's like this. Martha Stewart. This, this could, could be, be a better. lot better. Yeah. Come on. Add chocolate chips to your banana cupcakes. Yeah. You're like, hey, neighbor uh, from Lettuce. This could be better, right? She was, She's like, it sure could be. To be like, I feel like if there's one take home, like if there's a little kid or like a young person who comes up to you with like something serious for them, the gift of taking them seriously. Yeah. Like she was so serious with me, but wait, what did you ask me? No, just, I wanted to. He's get, trying to gauge like how the, long you were at school. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and what the transition into yeah. becoming an entrepreneur was and, and yeah. what did you, when you set out on your own, what, how did you want to do things differently? Sure. Did you want to fuse kind of some of the aspects of being in-house with being at an agency or how, what was kind of your strategy? What was going to set you apart? So it was twofold. One was seeing an opportunity and exactly what you said, um, taking a slightly different approach to this model of a PR agency. But ultimately I never wanted to be in PR. I'm good at it. I like it enough, but it's never really been the thing I wanted to do. But I learned or I was constantly, I was trying to think of like, what's the business that I'm going to do? And I realized like, oh, you could just start with something that people are going to pay you to do and that the overhead is low and figure it out. So I started the PR agency with a business partner who was instrumental in helping me feel confident enough to take the leap. Um, it wasn't ended up being the right fit for them and they moved on. Um, but it was a tremendous gift of like that confidence of not being in it alone. And I was like, I want to work with people I like 
I want to help them tell their stories, but ultimately like I want to help them make their businesses better. And I felt a little bit hogtied when it came to that, um, in my other experience and just, you know, everybody thinks that they can do it better than their bosses can. And some of it's true and some of it's not, but like I learned a lot about what to do and what not to do from my experiences working for other people. Do you find that some of your clients have a lot of ideas that they come to you with? What are some, some ones where you've had to kind of gently guide them in another direction or what, what's a, is there like a theme that you've, that you've noticed working with people where it's like, don't fall into this trap. Everybody sure. thinks they can do this. Uh, it, it never really pans out that way. What are some of those, uh, some of those dead ends that you kind of identify? I feel like some clients, the very ultra creative ones who maybe sought out on the path of restaurant or bar or business ownership because they were passionate, but not necessarily because they wanted to run a business. Mm -hmm. I find those clients are the ones who have a lot of ideas, but need to be reminded of the bottom line. So like, yeah, it'd be really rad to throw this cool party, but like, what is that further? How does that get you paid? And it's okay if you do shit that doesn't get you paid, but leads to brand exposure. But like, what's the strategic thinking behind it? Um, so I feel like I do a lot of that with certain clients and with other clients who maybe are more business focused, but not as creative. I help add some soul to the mix. And that sounds really kind of like new agey bullshit, whatever. But I think that sometimes people are like, Oh, like this is a cool thing. Let's do a restaurant collab with like a chef series. And it's like, okay, but why? Yeah. What's new? What's interesting? How is this going to drive? business. Why would this be fun? Like, why do I care? Right. You can do anything. You need to make sure there's a reason and it's resonating with your brand and it's driving that message forward. And there's places to be derivative, but everything can't be derivative. Mm -hmm. Have you seen, what are some of the trends right now that it's like maybe kind of beating a dead horse at this point? Or I think that there are some restaurants in the city where whether, I don't know whether like the horse came first or the cart, but like you go in and you feel like you're on Selling Sunset, like you're a cast member. And like the design and the soundtrack, it's like all of these songs. I'm, I mean, and you can have a fun time, but it just completely lacks all connectivity to anything of substance. There's nothing real about it. It it's, feels like a theme park. Exactly. Yeah, it has to be Instagrammable. It, exactly. And it's... Yeah, the soul piece you mentioned is pretty accurate. Um, so that's one. I think a trend that I'm excited about are... There was always pop-ups taking place in the city. Like, that's not new. But I think with the pandemic um, and people being forced to operate businesses out of their homes when restaurants and bars shut down, I'm really energized by the pop-up scene. And I think years ago, and maybe I'm off base, but I think years ago, people did pop-ups to get backing to open a brick and mortar. Yeah. And I think people are realizing the formal, traditional route may not necessarily best for what they want their life to look like or what their business to look like. And so I know people who are just like doing pop-ups and they're not necessarily feeling like there's this narrow path of how to do their thing. Um, what are what other were trends? some of the pop-ups that you participated in during COVID? I like pink salt. I think she's doing really interesting things. What's she doing? Thai food. Oh, cool. Um, nice. and she doesn't have a formal training. She's lovely. Um, banana phone is another one that it's kind of cool. Uh, it's Korean. I heard food. that song about a thousand times, uh, during my child's, oh. uh, yeah. years. Raffy banana phone. Oh, totally. <laughs> there's a, a lot of pizza pop-ups. I mean, you know, there's so many pop-ups right now in the city. So the banana phone one is Korean. You said? Yeah. Korean inspired. And like, it just seems like there's room for people to specialize in one thing, like whether it's pizza or whether it's yeah. a, a chicken sandwich, like they just do their one thing. And it's room to play and experiment without the stakes being so high. And yeah, I think I mean, that's a nice route, especially as you're testing proof of concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Millie's... Exactly. From, now they have a brick and mortar. Yeah, now they have a brick and mortar in Andersonville, which I'll be curious to check out. Yeah. And um, just like non-traditional formats. I keep hearing of people wanting to open kind of like bodega style places where it's like they don't need a lot of overhead from a staffing perspective. It's a counter. They're going to sell goods and food. And it's just a different model. Chaparita. Danny, I just went there a couple weeks ago. Uh, Chaparita. It's kind of like an old school. Not old school, but it's been around for a minute in Little Village. Fantastic. Uh, Yeah, amazing Mexico City style 
tacos inside of a bodega. Exactly. Um, very delicious. And like a move away from the gastro, like there, I have so much props for Alinea group and all that they have done for the city culinarily. But I think that whether it's a trend or whether it's just where people are at, I like that we're moving away from formality and that there's more press attention and community attention on different voices. Yeah. For a long time, it was all white men who owned restaurant groups in the city and they did beautiful jobs and they definitely did what they could, but it's exciting to see different voices. For sure. Yeah. The formality piece is actually pretty interesting. Um, I just feel like the stakes are so much higher because sometimes you go to an extremely formal coursed out situation yeah. and come away with an amazing experience and you feel like it's totally worth it. You'll never forget. And then other times, uh, you go to a certain place and similar vibe, similar, you know, theatrics, whatever. And it just feels like a complete waste of time. And I think the price point really sets an expectation. It and does, if you're going to, it's an ambitious concept and yeah. you need to make sure you're delivering. It's also really hard to run that type of business. Like yeah, very hard. It's not a, for most people, it's not a sustainable business model. And yeah. I kind of firmly, I just firmly believe that if you can do the coolest stuff, you can put the best food out, but if you can't run a business, you don't have a place to serve it. Yeah. It's just tough when you're, when you rely on a team that's that big, mm-hmm. uh, especially nowadays, there are so many moving parts and totally. And, and when there's such a shortage in staffing. Yeah. yeah. And just like people don't necessarily dining out is no longer a special occasion thing. Yeah. And that's not new. I think I got lucky. Like the time that I wanted to do restaurant PR was when restaurant became a hobby, you yeah. know, and mm-hmm. like yeah. being connected in the food scene and food publications were emerging. Yeah. Chefs were becoming celebrities. celebrities. Yeah. I was the, you know, we got to do sponsorship for chefs as brand ambassadors. And that was so interesting. And like, that was exciting to me when I was in those roles. Like how do we find different revenue streams? knowing that like ultimately there's only so much you can squeeze out of this business. What are some ways people can, I mean, merch cookbooks, what else? How are, how can you get creative with that to, uh, I'm mostly interested in the, the brand ambassador thing for restaurants and like sponsorship. Like if you can get paid to throw a great party and feature a liquor brand, not only is that revenue driving, but it's also then you get to be choosy about like the type of stuff you're doing and it's a creative outlet. Um, or, you know, it, it, I think that moment has passed a little bit where it's like the brand ambassador thing. I think that was probably peak when I was at one off mm-hmm. Yeah, where chefs were being viewed as, um, tastemakers. Yeah. Put on a pedestal. Yeah. And I think that has changed with a lot of what's happened in recent years amongst many of those celebrity chefs. Yeah. Do you find that uh, the Chicago food scene in general seems to be pretty collaborative? It doesn't seem yes. as competitive as maybe other cities. I feel like everyone's kind of on the same page and looking out for each other. I think that's because part of Chicago's identity is our food scene. I also think it's Midwestern. I Yes. To answer your question, yes, I think it's more collaborative. I've felt that way completely. Um, people share. People do favors for one another within the space. Um well, I remember being at one-off and obviously Boca is, is a big competitor of one-off and you know, there's some shade being thrown from everybody, but like, I think Stephanie Iser's restaurant and I could be wrong, but I think they didn't have, they needed something like they were, their supplier didn't show up. And so we lent them shit. And that is the spirit of, I think the Chicago food scene where people are down to help each other out. They collaborate at fundraisers. They do each other's pop-ups they talk and share information with one another. And in, I assume that was how everyone operated because I've only ever worked in Chicago. But it, And food publicists, like we always, you know, I'll pick up the phone and call a friend to bounce ideas off of and vice versa when we know someone else has expertise. Whereas in other cities like New York, my food PR friends did not know the people at like the other big names. Yeah, I feel like you're also pretty good at throwing opportunities to people like you know, when you had a handful of food and Bev clients, if like something didn't necessarily fit for one of them, but you got reached out to by a publication, then absolutely send it off to someone else who wasn't necessarily your client, but be absolutely. like, Hey, I think, Hey, a stereo, this place is asking about mezcal stuff. This Ex- might be a good fit for totally. you. Totally. 
I think that that is Chicago. I also think it's my approach. Yeah. Where I think there's enough for everybody if you're good at it. For sure. Um, and if you come from a scarcity mindset, you have scarce resources. Yeah. Well put. You can quote me on it. I'm glad you asked. Geneva is a European spirit with a wide range of flavors and lots of personality. It always uses malt spirit and juniper and other botanicals. So some would place it somewhere between gin and whiskey. It can be floral and bright like gin or round and malty like whiskey. Whatever your preference, there's a Geneva out there for you. Even me? Even you, Tim. This campaign is financed with aid from the European Union. As far as like ideas or campaigns that you've worked on, has there anything? Has there been anything in theory that seemed like it was going to be a great hit and just completely flopped? Or I guess vice versa. Yeah. Mean, if something you thought was going to be a flop, you probably wouldn't have put it forward. That's well, sometimes you take projects because you like the people. Yeah. Um. Without naming names, there was one property that I helped with PR and marketing and all of the things for, and I got a ton of press, national press, local press. It was a beautiful job on paper, but ultimately it wasn't fun. It was a bar that just wasn't fun. And I was concerned about that all along, but when you're working with people who this is their baby and they have a vision... For what something is. Yeah. And you both know me. I'm not at all quiet or shy. Um, <laughs> Was there a party that's like, maybe I am wrong and maybe they're onto something? Totally. Or, you or said the because whole time were you like, this is not going to work out? Well, you work with people who you... There's a few clients I've had where I'm like, this isn't going to work. I'm doing it because I like you and you asked me to do it, but like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> but most of the time I think that things can work, but it's also the execution. Yeah. Like if I'm throwing a great party... For an opening, and I've got the right people there, and it's all set up right, and the vibe is good, but you guys didn't remember to batch cocktails before the event started, and people can't get drinks, there's only so much control I have over how things turn out. And so with this client, I also only work with people who I think are really good at what they do. And so, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is the angle. Maybe people want a serious approach to cocktails. And ultimately, you know, you pick and choose your battles and sometimes you second guess yourself. Like maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just not their consumer. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately that place didn't work out. It wasn't fun. Yeah. Gotta be fun. Well, a bar has to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. A bar should be fun. Yeah. If you're a bar, you're going to want to be fun. Most of the time, I think. And then like kind of along the same lines, have there ever been events that you and Paul have thrown, let's say, and you'll kind of come together after the event and you'll be like, that was incredible. What a success. And Paul will be like, that was awful. Like it's a time that you just like are totally not kind of processing it in the same way. We're usually aligned. Yeah. Um, I'll typically have more feedback on the hospitality experience, whether service ran smoothly. Yeah. Um, whether the financials worked, he'll have more thoughts about whether it aesthetically worked whether the vision in his head is what we executed. Yeah. Does he? Do you both feel drained while an event is occurring? No, or it's are you energizing. Both like, okay. So who does this if they are t- don't want to be around people? No, I love events. Um, well, you know, like at a certain point, you spend enough shifts behind a bar. Yeah. Talking to people and the the luster uh, can disappear after a while, well, or you just have to take some time yeah. away and then kind of remember what you loved about it. Sometimes it can feel like a grind, you know, it's different every time. For us, we designed the business with that in mind. Paul is very much a creative. I think he's a visionary and I don't throw that around lately, but he gets easily distracted and he needs a lot of things on his plate. So do I. And so the way that we built our business was like, we do public facing events. We do events or experiential for clients. We do photo shoots. We do consulting. We do weird shit that we want to, because it'll be fun. Um, and we're doing a lot of different things at once. If we just did photo shoots, if we just did events, we would be totally burnt out. And I think that mix, whether you want to call it a service mix or a product mix, makes it sustainable. And because we both have a larger view in mind of like where we want this thing to go, it's 
and we're just our own bosses, like we can just do things for fun. So like, for instance, we were both single during the pandemic and we're like, what if we have a singles mixer and how do we get paid to find boyfriends? And so we hosted an event called single adult and we had 10 men looking for men, 10 women looking for women, 10 men looking for women and 10 women looking for men and a few non-binary folks and a few people who are looking for anything. Um, and we put them in a zoom call and we got very wonderful sponsors to have liquor brought and delivered like cocktail elements and cookies. And we did an open mic where it was like adult show and tell. And we didn't find boyfriends, but we got paid. And one of my good friends um, is now dating someone from it. And like, we would have done it if we broke even. Like, it was just fun. Like, how do we, how do we game the system to do things that are f- interesting? Yeah. What, what are the logistics of that? So it's show and tell. Like, do you go up and you pitch yourself? For this particular event? Yeah. We delivered. Paul's parents help us out a lot. Um, we crafted kits with the liquor brand um, and kind of some cocktail mixers. It's a product that's quite sweet. So we com- came out with a-, a bartender friend helped us. I was like, here's the product. How do we make it taste drinkable? Um, it's delicious, but it's apple flavored apple f- spiced apple flavored rum, which is specific. Very specific. Yeah. And so his we- favorite product. <laughs> I enjoy so the niches. We, we made. I think he has one in his pocket right now. I got Put a flask, flask in each pocket. And I got a lot of pockets in this Apple these and pants. melon flavored liquor. <laughs> um, so we delivered that with cookies that said "Love Mom." Our friends at Kasama did that, and we had them on Zoom. And we told them before what the prompt was. We sent out a dossier, um, and people just went up one at a time and like told a story about their favorite thing, and then connected on IG afterwards. And there were uh, quite a few relationships from this. Little singles mixer. We're that's, working on any weddings one. yet? Not yet. I guess it's TV. still early. Yeah, it's been a couple months. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, well, we've taken a lot of your time, and we appreciate you very much for coming in here. But uh, we're not going to let you go. Yeah, we're not going to let you off the okay. hook that easily. So I think Tim is going to orchestrate what we are calling the gratuity round. Oh, cute. Just a Quick questions, shoot from the hip, don't think too much. I won't. One word answers are great. Cool. Are you ready? Don't let that garbage truck in the background distract you. Did like I answer questions that people would find interesting? Are people going to want to listen to this? Yeah, I think so. We'll let you know. We'll we'll find out. Yeah. No, yeah, it's great. All we can do is make a show that we find interesting and hope there are other people like us out there. I actually did have one more question before the gratuity round. So when pitching, and maybe you haven't done this in a while, but when pitching to publications, there's no shortage of openings. Yeah. I'm sure the editors and the writers are getting hit up constantly to cover things. What's a tip to make a pitch stand out? What are writers looking for? Does does something need to be anecdotal? What what's sure. kind of the strategy like your around concrete, that? Like nitty gritty stuff. Yeah. Um, so I don't tradi- pitch in a traditional way. I when I was at One Off, asked a bunch of journalists like, "How do you want information to be sent?" And so I just Singing, singing telegrams. Basically. I bullet it. I like chew it for them. Um, So I think not too formal is good. You obviously need to have the information that they need. They're going to need photos. They're not going to need dates or prices or whatever it is. Like make it easy for them to do their job. As for what makes it run, ultimately like my job is to connect the right story with the right people. And even if it's churning, like there's only so many restaurant openings, it isn't that particularly novel, they need content. And so my Mm -hmm. job is to say, here's the restaurant opening, here's the patio, here's the dog pet uh, friendly patio, here's an interesting drink, here are the frozen drinks. Like I know what roundups or whatever bullshit they're gonna do. Yeah. And so I know (laughs) the timeline. And I send the buckets this concept can fit into I do the chewing for them. Um, if it's more of a noteworthy topic, a little bit more in depth, if we're looking for a national. Um, it's pitch- pitching the personality and being thoughtful in your approach and really tailoring your pitch. So for instance, um, I pitched Paul, um, my business partner who is definitely a stylish man. And I was like, well, I definitely am pitching us from like an agency trade perspective, but he's the tastemaker. People want to know what he's wearing and what he likes. So I pitched him to a bunch of outlets that focus on like 12 things, a 
so-and-so loves, you know. It was just all stock manufacturing clothing. Exactly, all stock. Just 12 different stock. Exactly. But, you know, if you tailor it to the outlet. So, like, I really love the Financial Times has a magazine insert called How to Spend It. And it's, like, very niche and, like, wouldn't be our typical demographic. But I just love this insert. And I was like, Paul likes to spend money. He can tell people how to spend it. <laughs> and so he's going to be in the September issue. So just like being thoughtful. I think what it was a lot something of that he submitted to that? Gosh, it was, a sh- they ended up wanting it to be a Chicago city guide. And so he gave recommendations. I know he mentioned Notra. Uh, I can't remember what other restaurants and establishments. There was like a donut place on the side. Really loves. Oh, old fashioned or dat donut. I think it might have been old-fashioned. Yeah, old-fashioned is, is the best. Yeah, I've seen that on his. Yeah, post. so it was fun, and it's, it's too good. You know, it's it's tailoring something where it's helpful for them and shows that you did your research, and it's also sending a lot of emails yeah. and following up. And it's not it's not a, a template and sending it to a million places. Correct. It's tailoring it to that. Usually, to the I vibe. mean, sometimes I mean, there's I send the same patio email to the same people, yeah. but that's the information. And people I need. like a patio. Nothing I, wrong with it. And I it's t- the relationship. You yeah. know, they're going to write it because they know that I'm going to get them what they need and they like me. I, too, have one final question. Okay. Is it, maybe, is it nuts and bolts? <laughs> no, it's not nuts and How bolts. How to write an email. How to send a calendar <laughs> yeah. invite. How to talk to Tim Tierney. Um, I could answer that question. How to record well. a podcast. <laughs> we can't record that. Know. We can't answer that question. Um, no, but you've, you've been in the Midwest your whole life. Yeah. You grew up in Wilmette, so on the North Shore, more or less. You live in the city now. You went to school in Wisconsin and Madison. So why stay here? Obviously, your skills and your skill set could thrive in many different places, but you've chosen to stay, you know, anchored to the Midwest in Chicago. Either, you know, why have you, you know, stayed here? Or, like, what did you ever entertain moving somewhere else? And da, 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 da. The real answer is my family and my community is all here. Yeah. And stability and community is really important to me. Um, the other reason, you know, yeah, I was offered some stuff in New York at different times. And I just, I like that Chicago's big enough where you can do something, but small enough where you know everybody. Yeah. And that we don't take ourselves too seriously as a whole. Like, of course, there's exceptions to that rule. Sure. But especially in the food thing, like, I don't need to be with someone who takes it more seriously than I do. It's not that serious. And I really value the community of it here. But yeah, it's primarily about just like family and friends and, you know, nothing particularly strategic. It's just... Yeah, natural. I feel that. You got the network here. Yeah, and I'd rather be a medium-sized fish in a big pond than a small fish in a really big pond. Fair enough. All right, cool. On to the... Gratuity around. Right. Here we go. Shoot from the hip. Last meal. Not what was your last meal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like a death row meal. You got one <laughs> meal left. Where are you going? What are you eating? Is it in Chicago? Could anywhere. be anywhere. I would go to Mexico City. And there's this taqueria. I think it's called El Perino. And I just still think about the tacos. And the experience and the mezcal and just like the sexy vibes in Chicago. You see, here's the thing. I have a lot of dietary restrictions. I'm very high maintenance. So like the places I like, I can't really eat that much, but like I love Le Bouchon. I just can't eat anything there. Yeah. I love Le Bouchon. I just learned that they're open for lunch. Ugh. I had no idea. I love Le Bouchon. So um, good. Takara Shingon. I love, but yes. like, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right. Favorite fast food. Now, I told Danny, I'm pretty sure you've never had Taco Bell. Is that what, have you told me that in the past? I maybe had it once as a child. Oh my God. Oh, you know what? I, <laughs> I, I, I don't really eat fast food. I, mean, I think it's fair to say nothing. I don't eat yeah. fast food. If I was on a road trip and I was like really stuck, oh, you know what it might be? Cops in Milwaukee. That's fast food. What's cops? It's K O P P S. It's custard. Oh, it's not the police station. No, it's custard and fries and like burgers. But like, I like. I like oh, that's it. solid. Okay. Because yeah. it's it's like kind of gross. No, I it's in Milwaukee. Yeah. yeah. Huh. It's a custard. But I think I've been to that custard. Oh, yeah, I like it. Check there. that out. Yeah. All right. Uh, favorite thing to cook. 
I love making, and this sounds lame, but like a really good salad. I'm really good at making salad. What's what's your secret? Lately, I really it's like not a, a Martha Stewart a thin, recipe. No, a thin kale like that's massaged very well. Obviously, you need to have dates in there. Maybe some halloumi. Are you going like dino that. kale? Yeah, of course. Yeah, always. Always. And like, I then cut out the stems and I roast them so like they're using the whole thing. Wow. Wow. Oh yeah. I'm, Very involved. I don't, well, she doesn't compost, so she'd have no other use for it. I mean, <laughs> I still do consider myself as like kind of hippy dippy. So yeah, yeah I don't want to waste. Cool. All right. Favorite restaurant. Got to pick one. Rootstock. Nice. That is a good salad choice. It's where my wife and I had our first date. It's the best. I was there last night with friends. It's so good. Favorite old school spot? I kind of think Rootstock is old school, but let me think. I think that's It's a fair right idea. in the middle. It is. It's truly... Let me think for a second. I know you told me instant, but like, I don't know. You know where I went the other day? And it was so ridiculous, but I loved it. Um, what's it called? The French... Oh, Colonial. Oh, like Colonial. It should be canceled. There's some major racist undertones. In the decor choices I've never and been the there. uniform, and it was so good. <laughs> Danny immediately jumped ship. Never been, <laughs> never even heard of it. I have no affiliation with Colonial. <laughs> never been it's there. It's in the Gold Coast, and I went for lunch, and it was such a good experience. And the wackiest people watching of Ladies Who Lunch and Sugar Babies, and I just love it. And that's 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 the Gold Coast for you. That's, I love it. It's so different. The soundbite from this entire podcast will be. That place should be canceled. <laughs> but I love That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to get the other part of what you said. Yeah. We're just going to pull that one part. It's surprising though, just because like their whole thing is like, it's like a colonial, like it, the name is like, it, yeah, it, it, all of it you. is wild, but it's, it's great. All right. Co- go to cocktail order. Where am I? If you could... Drink a, a anything. Full service bar. Yeah. Okay, so either a fantastic mezcal margarita, okay. not mm. sweet, with a salted rim, but not too much salt, and maybe a little spicy, or the perfect gin martini with a lemon swath. Nice. Very nice. Great answers. Thank you. Now, a mezcal margarita, when I make them at home, I'm doing some tequila in there. I'm doing usually doing half and half tequila and mezcal. That's kind of the big do you go, star way. Do you go all in on the mezcal? Yeah. Okay. 100%. Yeah. Danny? Yeah, I mean, I he prefer would be the that. expert. No, that's my preference. But. Yeah. And then what kind of spicy agent are you talking about? I don't know. Serrano? Margaritas are a new thing for me. I used to just do like mezcal, neat, or mezcal on the rocks. and. You'll be hard pressed to find a mezcal cocktail that doesn't have a spicy ingredient. Well, I think you could maybe incorporate like tahini to the salt from yeah, the rim yeah, or something yeah, like that. It. So you're not really messing with those, the liquid yeah. so much. Yeah, that's probably the most. Because you can always avoid... You know, I like the half salted rim. Yes. Because it's kind of like a choose your own adventure. So are you going to put a mezcal margarita on the menu at Scofflaw with a half salted uh, tahini rim? Not, not with the lime <laughs> issues. <laughs> oh, there's yeah, lime not, shortages not with again? The, not with the lime shortage. Yeah, oh. no. Um, we'll see. I don't, I don't have any immediate plans to do that, but we're okay. happy to make that for you anytime. Thank you. Jenna special. With lemons. Yeah. Just only <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, we're still, uh, we're still using lime, but yeah. All right. Uh, something that bars or restaurants do that annoy you? When they come to your table and ask you if you've dined with them before and then proceed to explain how to use a menu. Yeah, We just had we this conversation. just had this conversation. I have been to a restaurant. I know that typically it starts from appetizers and then goes on to mains. Well, yeah. Check out this wrench. It's like the three of us eating at a place. A server comes up. Have you dined with us before? Let's say you have, and Tim and I haven't. Like, what? How does that change it in any sort of way? And they like, what's the difference? Always still go through the spiel. Exactly. I mean, I don't know why they're doing it. It's awful. And if we all said yes, they'd still go through the spiel. Like, it's we one of those questions. Many shared dishes. Da, da, yeah. da, da. Like, I've been to a restaurant. I know, and if I don't know, I'll ask. But yeah, I also hate the, the QR best. codes. Yeah, it's tough. Hate the QR codes. I want Q- a real menu. I just don't like being on my phone. Yes. When I'm yeah. trying to like be with someone You're at a place. You're not present. And it's but, hard to share and strategize. But I appreciate like the, the, 
you know, the non-material waste. It's not about uh, COVID. It's about For me, waste. it's the waste. And it's about printing. Yeah, like how many menus you have to print and stuff and change over. And now, like, when a cocktail is out of stock for whatever reason, yeah. or something wasn't batched properly or made properly, it's so easy to just drop it from the digital menu, replace it, whatever, rather than print out every menu. Yeah stuff everything i get it from an operational yeah. perspective but i hate it as a consumer that's fair i appreciate the honesty yeah. last question finish this sentence to me hospitality is complicated Did all right more than one Love word <laughs> yeah no that's great no you could have done a sentence I like an uncomplicated like, answer yeah that's yeah that's great um yeah any any last things you want to say to you know the our listener out there well shannon no <laughs> <laughs> no and ellie and ellie, yeah, ellie we'll might make her listen, listen. maybe the kids will listen too yeah no someday um we'll give them the clean version i hope people like this <laughs> yeah. and i can't we'll wait to hear all the time jenna said shit <laughs> no i think it's a podcast i'm allowed to curse <laughs> absolutely it's this encouraged. Oh, for your children? Yeah, yeah. You said Arthur's fine. It's okay. He knows he can't use that word, but he can hear it. <laughs> All the swear words I it's know I learned from Arthur. <laughs> oh my God. Well, John, thank, thank you, you very much. This was me. a lot of fun. Yeah, this was thank fun you. hanging out, and I can't wait to to see where where this goes. And that's a wrap on this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions or comments or anecdotes or stories or anything you want to tell us, please reach out at joinerspod at gmail.com. Again, that's joinerspod at gmail.com. I got a blueberry for a daughter. <laughs>